You are listening to the Recovering Faith Podcast, an honest and non-judgmental discussion on faith in God and the doubts we often have, why it's sometimes difficult to trust God, and how we can know with a surety that He loves us. This show centers on strengthening and rebuilding our faith after loss, tragedy, or when coming to Christianity from a non-Christian or pseudo-Christian worldview. Now, here is your host, Gene Curl. Hello and welcome back to Recovering Faith Podcast. I am not sure what episode number this is or what episode number it should be. Uh, I have uh, missed a couple of episodes recently. I've been extremely busy and I haven't been in the right frame of mind to put a podcast up. And I had decided that instead of just putting up something substandard that didn't really mean anything to me, that I would just wait until... I have the time to devote to it because the entire reason for starting this podcast in the first place is to help people with their uh, faith journey, to help people that are struggling with faith or struggling to believe in God or uh, to trust God. And putting up something that I just threw together doesn't seem to help in that regard. So, but today. Um, today's topic, it's called, or today's uh, episode, the title for today is called, Is God an Angry, Absent, and Abusive Father Just Waiting for Us to Mess Up So He Can Punish Us? And I know a lot of people basically think of God that way. They think God is just sitting up there just waiting for us to do something wrong, and the very second we do something wrong, He's going to punish us for it. And... So yeah, that's what uh, what I'm talking about today. My younger sister often tells me that I have ADHD. And while I typically deny the accusation, or rather diagnosis, or simply laugh it off and correctly state that I've never been diagnosed with the disorder, I can't deny the fact that I have so many involuntary behaviors that are characteristic of the condition that any professional worth his or her salt would probably diagnose me with ADHD on my first visit. I bring up my sister's unprofessional, though likely accurate, diagnosis of me because while I try my best to pay attention, I sometimes get lost in thought during church and pay less attention to the sermon than what it deserves. Getting easily distracted is a problem that plagues me in most after aspects of life as well, which is why I generally have no less than 20 active projects at a time, and why I'm continually starting new ones. I really do try to pay attention to the task at hand and not get distracted by another project, something I have to do later, or a shiny bauble in the distance, but unless what I'm doing requires all of my attention, my concentration is split, and my thoughts bounce back and forth inside my cranium like a ping-pong ball on a hotly contested match. And as a result, I get more than a little squirrely. Last Sunday was one of those times. About midway through the sermon last Sunday, I noticed a little boy in a pew in front of me, and I noticed that he had rather hairy arms for someone of his age. And that set off a chain reaction of thought inside my head. 
If you can hear the cat in the background, I'm sorry. I locked the cat out of my office, but um, she just won't shut up. She insists on being in here, so yeah. So sorry about that. So anyhow, uh, I noticed the little boy in front of me had uh, hairy arms and uh, seeing it set off a chain reaction of thoughts inside my mind. Uh, people often tell me that I say random things, but if they were somehow able to see the chain of thoughts from the original topic or statement to what I said, it would make perfect sense. The problem is the chain of thoughts takes precious little time, and in the, state, in the uh, space of a breath, I can derail the conversation from backyard barbecues to Wild Bill Hickok. And since no one can see inside my head and follow what I consider to be a logical pres uh, procession of thoughts, they view my comment to be completely random and completely irrelevant to the conversation at hand. Anyhow, when I saw the boy with the hairy arms, it reminded me of my childhood, which is something I actively try not to think of. And I thought about how when I was a child, my arms were hairy when I was pretty young, and how it was simultaneously a source of pride and a source of shame. Pride because it made me feel that I was growing into a man, and shame because my father would ridicule me for having hair. You see, my father didn't have any hair on his arms or legs, for reasons unknown to me, and he would often say that I could not be his because I was hairy, by his standards at least, and he was not. My father also said that I was a child of the devil because I had red hair, and that I was not and could not possibly be his child. The thought that I could be anyone's child other than my father's is laughable because we share so many phenotypic traits that despite the differences in color and abundance of our hair, I was more or less the spitting image of my father, for better or worse. The other reason I could only be my father's is that not only would my mother have never have cheated, but my father never gave her the chance, and there is no doubt in my mind that he would have killed her if she had. Have I mentioned that my father was not a good man? Well, if not, here it is. My father was far and away from being a good man, a good father, or even a good human. Growing up, I wanted nothing more desperately than I wanted my father to be proud of me. And it wasn't until I was an adult and my father was long dead that I fully realized that he would never be proud of me and that there was nothing I could <clears throat> there was uh, nothing that I could ever have done to make him so. When it came to my father, I was always walking on a narrow and dangerous trail with the unscalable precipice of pleasing my father on one side and the dangerous chasm of angering my father on the other. While it was all but impossible to please my father, it took no effort at all to anger him, and the simplest misstep or perceived slight would send him into a fit of rage that he took out not only on the object of his anger, but anyone and anything in the general area. I can't count the, t the number of times my father would fly off the handle and break nearly everything in the house just to place the blame on everyone but himself. And he would say something like, see what you made me do? 
When my father was angry with me, he was not only abusive physically, but he also told me that I was not loved by God and that it was therefore not likely that I would be saved. Since I was taught to respect my father, both uh, as my father and as a spiritual leader, I more often than not believed him. It's partially because of my father that I have been obsessed with religion my entire life, and also partially because of my father that I lost my faith in God for a few years. There have been times in my life when I was absolutely certain that there that uh, God is real. And there have been times in my life when I was absolutely certain that God was nothing more than a myth. But there has never been a time in my life when I couldn't care either way. Growing up, I read and reread the Bible, trying to decide if my father was, in fact, correct, or if I had a chance of salvation. In addition to being an abusive and controlling person, my father was also an ordained minister and was extremely legalistic, and he made it clear that, according to his doctrine, no one could be saved unless he or she followed a certain prescribed set of rules. Yet, he claimed that we were saved by grace alone. Apparently, my father failed to understand that works is the antonym of grace, and if we can only be saved by doing good works, then we have earned our salvation. As a child, though, I didn't have nearly the theological understanding or the real-world understanding that I do now. And whenever I did, uh, whenever I didn't understand something, or if something didn't make sense, I took it to be a failing on my part. I was always afraid to ask my father questions because, at best, I would get a lecture I did not understand, filled with words I did not know, whose premise could be summed up by saying I was a sinner destined for hell. And at worst, I would get smacked, or something far more severe. When a person grows up with an abusive father, it is extremely difficult to view God as a loving father. And the problem is compounded farther when raised in a religion that is extremely legalistic, such as I was, that teaches that the smallest infraction of God's law will anger him and cause him to send you to hell in a handbasket, where there will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And basket weaving, apparently, I guess. I never really understood the handbasket thing. One of the many things I would have gotten in a lot of trouble for asking about. There are so many religions, including that of my father, whose doctrines teach that God is love, and that we're saved by grace alone through faith alone, and yet they teach and preach every week things that contradicts that in a dramatic way. If it is grace plus anything else, then it's not really grace and we're earning our salvation. And the Bible is extremely clear on the fact that we cannot earn our salvation. There are numerous verses on the subject, but one of my favorites is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8-9, through 9, that says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. In a lot of churches, and even in a lot of churches that I've attended, 
There are a lot of people who have taken it upon themselves to be the rule police. And they take it upon themselves or they, uh, they believe that it's their God-given duty to ensure that everyone is following all of the rules. Every single minuscule one. Even though they themselves are undoubtedly not following all the rules. Not even large or significant ones. Since church is meant to represent God on earth, it's only natural to assume that what the church wants of us is what God wants of us. And as a natural result, we grow to think that God is just some absent, angry father that only comes home long enough to catch us breaking the rules and severely punish us for it. In other words, a lot of religions would have us believe that God is a cosmic fun-hater who revels in punishing flawed humans for not following the rules that are almost impossible to keep. No wonder so many people give up on religion, and God with it, and try to live their best life with little or no thought of the afterlife. About halfway through my childhood, I realized that I could either do what I wanted, have fun, and get beat for it, or else have absolutely no fun, do what I was told, and get beat anyway. I figured that if I was going to get in trouble either way, I might as well have some fun. Uh, now, don't mistake me, I wasn't a troublemaker child and I didn't go to parties or anything like that, but I would do things that I enjoyed, or at least try to. I remember as a child reading the scripture where Jesus says that even the evil know how to give their children good gifts. Jesus said, if you, sorry, he said, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Luke eleven thirteen. Now, I remember thinking when I read that passage, that my father must somehow be beyond evil because he would totally have given me a serpent when I asked for a fish or a scorpion in the place of an egg. Or more accurately, slapped me, told me to stop being so greedy and self-centered and to stop serving the devil. Apparently, it's a sin, according to my father at least, to expect a parent to fulfill even the most basic of societal expectations towards one's own children. Even those of us who had the absolute worst fathers know at least one person who had a kind, loving, and generous father. And deep down, we know that that is what a father is meant to be. A good father will not chastise his child for falling down when learning to walk, but instead will praise him or her for trying and encourage them to get up and try again. And though it may be difficult to believe, God is the very best of fathers. My father would not have done anything to make my life better, and even actively went out of his way to make it worse. And it took me a long time to realize that my father was not a good representation of what a father was supposed to be, and certainly not a good representation of our Heavenly Father. But Jesus died for me, not because I deserve it somehow, but but precisely because I didn't. It was not an is not my love toward God that saves me, but his love toward me. Romans 5, 6 through 8 says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. 
Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. God is not happy when we mess up, just like good parents are not happy when their children make poor life choices. But he doesn't stop loving us when we mess up, and he wants us to try to do better. Instead of chastising us for failure, God praises us for trying and urges us to get up, brush off the dust, and try again. God is not an angry, abusive father. He's not some cosmic fun hater. And he's not just an angry judge waiting for us to mess up, but our loving creator who knows the most intimate details of our life and wants us all to succeed. And more importantly, he wants us to know how much he loves us and he wants us to love him in return. God loves you more than you can imagine and more than you will ever know in this life. I hope this episode was of some benefit to you. It was just something that I felt compelled to talk about uh, when I was on my flighty moment in church. That's what I was thinking about, and so I wrote down some thoughts and uh, decided I'd talk about it. So thanks for listening, and I will do my best to get back on my normal schedule and post a episode every week. For those of you who did not abandon ship when I missed a few episodes, I greatly appreciate it. And if you know anyone who may benefit at all from this episode or any of the others, please share it with them. I'm not making any money at all on this podcast, uh, not one cent. I am simply doing it because I think that it's what God wants me to do to help a specific group of people either come to him or come back to him. So, again, thanks for watching, or not watching, I mean, thanks for listening. And I hope that the rest of 2020 is good for you, and I hope you tune in for the next episode. God bless. Thanks for listening to the Recovering Faith Podcast. Please rate and review this show and share it with your friends and family. You are loved.